Hello, and welcome to the Quadcast, a series of interviews with leaders from higher education and healthcare on the emotional and behavioral health of teens and young adults. The Quadcast is a program of the Mary Christie Foundation, a thought leadership organization dedicated to the behavioral health and well being of young people. We have a particular focus on American college students. I'm Marjorie Malpedi, the executive director of the Mary Christie Foundation and the host of the Quadcast. Conversation we have in higher education these days starts with COVID 19. The pandemic has upended every aspect of college life and is having a significant impact on college student mental health, as well as on the delivery of mental health services on college campuses. We're so pleased that our guest today is Dr. Zoe Ragusius, the Director of Counseling and Wellness at New York University. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So the COVID-19 pandemic has caused enormous disruption for counseling center directors and for students. I know you've gone through so much at NYU in managing this situation. Can you tell us just some of the experience that you've gone through, both from yourself, the students, and your counselors? Sure. It feels like just yesterday, and yet it feels like years ago as well. (laughs) We converted to fully remote services on the 17th of March. And we did so in three days, which was certainly a feat. And a lot of the credit does go to our counselors for their flexibility and creativity. In those early days, we established two guiding principles just so that we kept our eye on the ball in terms of what we wanted to accomplish. And that was to maintain our scope of services, albeit remotely. So we didn't want to drop any services. And we wanted to ensure that no student fell through the crack, particularly those that were already in our care and for whom the move to remote services could have been really disrupting. And we knew there was a lot going on for our students at the time. For their own safety, they were being asked to go home. But where was home? Could they get home? And certainly there was a lot of concern about air travel. Did they have the funding to go home? Was home a welcoming place for them? And then, of course, they were grappling with the news that all of their courses would be moving to remote and what that would mean for them. Could they learn that way? Uh, I will say the university was quite supportive with the small grants they offered and exceptions to the housing expectations. But it was really a, a disruptive time for our students. As far as the service, we had some comfort level that we we knew how to manage remote care because we had hotline that was in effect since 2004 and a chat service that was in effect since 2014. So we already knew that remote counseling support was possible and viable and could work. But certainly moving all of our services, the groups and the, the individual clinical care, not to mention how we would be reimagining our drop-in services when there was no longer a place to drop in, issues around how you would manage 24-7 emergency response when you couldn't do a check-in in in the residence hall anymore, when you couldn't drop by a student's class to check on them. You know, all of that was really new territory. So let me ask you this, Dr. Ragusios, of the systems that you typically rely on to make sure that students are safe and that their issues are being addressed, what would you say was the most disruptive? In a university setting where we know that people arrive at the same location, there is some security and maybe it's you know only psychological. There is some security in knowing that you could go to them if you needed to. 
we had 12,000 students and residents, we could do a wellness check-in either through the housing staff or we could do it ourselves. We could ask public safety's assistance to drive a student over to us if that were necessary. None of that was an option anymore. And our students were continuing to report emergency concerns, but now they're in Ohio or maybe they're in another country. And they're certainly living with people who they weren't living with before. In, in, in terms of trying to wrap our minds around how we would do our emergency response care going forward, it, that was sort of one of the, the bigger challenges. Right, right. In terms of the remote therapy sessions, what have your counselors been saying about, and the students, about the challenges of that? Yeah. So, you know, I have to say the counselors have really been remarkable and flexible. And I think they appreciated that for their safety and for the student's safety that we needed to move to remote and we needed to move to remote quickly. But, you know, there are clinical challenges involved in this. They were now homeschooling their children at the same time where they had a full schedule of patients each day. They had to grapple with their own personal health conditions and perhaps personal grief that they were grappling with, their own anxieties around getting sick. It was a time where we were faced with serving our patients at the same time that we were grappling with these issues personally. And, you know, when we talked later on about that, we thought the only other time where we were all sort of facing the same emergency at the same time as our patients was September 11th where we had our personal concerns to grapple with, as well as trying to do what we needed to do for our patients. That's a a great analogy, particularly there you are in New York City. And given the pandemic's um, intense effect on the city and everything that that happened as a result. Dr. Ragusius, tell us a little bit more about what you're seeing students reporting related to the pandemic and potentially the situations that they're currently in. Yeah, People who had current health conditions were continuing to report those conditions, and you might not be surprised to know that they uh, were reporting an exacerbation in their conditions, particularly if they had anxiety diagnoses, particularly, for example, OCD. Those concerns were heightened given the particular circumstances of this issue. If, If one was prone to depression, the isolation and loneliness Um, that came along with being asked to quarantine was exacerbated. You know, people had significant academic concerns. Some students were anxious about their grades. They were anxious about how much they were learning. They were anxious about their careers and what this economy means for them going forward. People were reporting increased substance abuse, which might not surprise you given the ways that people try and cope uh, with this kind of trauma. People were reporting violence in their homes and that their homes were not safe spaces. You will have seen racism and reports about assault and and harassment, particularly among our Asian communities. And then, of course, the issues of grief and bereavement that each individual family was facing. So, Dr. Ragusius, the other interesting dynamic for college student mental health is this sense that you know, isolation is, the experts obviously tell us, can be a negative contributing factor to mental health disorders. And I can't help but think that that's got to be a concern of yours right now with students being isolated at home. Are you seeing that? I know you worried about that for the fall. 
We are worried about that. Um, we are hearing from students that it's hard. It's hard not to be able to socialize in the ways that they used to. For some people, the connections that they can achieve socially on something like Zoom is just not the same. And they had their social supports and they now don't have them in the same ways. And so that is increasing people's anxiety and their depression and it's increasing their coping, however they chose to cope with it. And on the spectrum of coping, some people stay on the safer end and some people use higher risk coping strategies like substances. And so we're hearing about all of that. Am I concerned for the fall? I will be concerned until somebody tells us that it's fully safe not to socially distance because these continue to be real issues for our students. Let's talk a little bit about service delivery. So we cover in the work that we do a lot about the capacity issues in terms of being able to serve the number of students that are seeking services. And I know that NYU has its share of that as does pretty much every college counseling center I've spoken to. Do you see service demand going up as a result? And do you think that it may be different in the fall? Are you worried about this issue that has been an issue for for some time? Yes, at least in our particular service, we saw that our utilization was, was basically on par with last year. When we study the period of time we've been away and we compare that to that same period of time Last year, we're looking at 80% capacity. On one hand, that's a really good thing. Students are continuing to ask for care. They believe they will get quality care with us. And so, albeit remotely, they are choosing to pursue services. In fact, we did a satisfaction survey with our students just recently. And in fact, it's continuing in this moment. But last time I looked, it was over 200 responses. And the students said, that virtual care was just as good. The minority said that it was better and the minority said that it was worse. Most people said it was just as good. And so on one hand, I'm happy to see that students are continuing to access us in almost the same numbers as before. Now, why are we at 80 and not 100%? You know, we've heard things from students like they don't have the privacy that is necessary to do a counseling session in their home. They perhaps don't have their own bedrooms. We've advised students to do things like go sit in their car or go walk around the block and just put the Zoom application on their phones. And so that's been an issue. And then for some students, for all of the concern we have for those who whose symptoms are exacerbated, there are people for whom their symptoms have been mitigated by going home. And so for some students, they just declined remote services. Now, what I expect in the fall and going forward, I think that people in this world and NYU students will be no exception are traumatized by what's happened here. And I think that as much as mental health services were at the forefront before this happens, I think that will continue and will increase going forward. And then I think as more students physically return to campus, people will be asking for care. They will be asking for care for the reasons they asked for care before. And they will be asking for care around feeling the trauma around what we have all experienced. So am I concerned? Yes, I am concerned. I'm wondering, Dr. Iglesias, about other aspects of your service. I know that you've done some great work there in resilience training and some of the more preventative programs on the wellness side. 
we had the joy, I would say, of hearing from Al and Schlechter and Dan Lerner on their happiness class. The classes like this across the country really gaining popularity. What do you think will be the appetite for these kinds of programs? And do you see that as being a really important part of the mix? Yeah, I mean, we're really hoping to increase the numbers of students who are utilizing these preventive ways of coping. We had what we were calling a you know coronavirus support group. We then changed the name to sort of stress, managing stress, maintaining control, something like that. And the idea is for students who, you know, have no other issues and are just really needing support around sort of bouncing back from this, that they would be interested in these kind of preventive workshops where we talk to them about how to maintain control, how to cope in safe ways, how to ask for help when they need it, how to use their other social supports. And so we are trying to ramp up the numbers of these support groups with the idea that it will mitigate some wait times if students are interested in these support group experiences versus waiting for an individual session. Right. So it'll be interesting to see how things play out, not just in the counseling center, but really across the university. wanted to ask you a little bit about faculty and the impact this has had on everyone. Do you see the faculty being more involved in their students' well-being going back just because the obvious impact of this is, as you pointed out, is traumatic. It's traumatic personally for the faculty and it's traumatic for the students and where they meet. Lots of issues arise. As finals and midterms approach, we frequently get reports from faculty every year bringing students to our attention who are struggling, who are reporting that their academic issues are related to a mental health concern. Uh, And so I was interested to see whether that would continue this year. And in fact, it did. I think that means something about the relationships that the faculty established with students. And I think that means something about the support that the faculty feel that they get from our service in that they are bringing those students to our attention the same way that they always have. Now, again, back to how do you respond? It's so different to call a student and say, you know, hey, your faculty member thought you were struggling. Do you want to just come in versus trying to get them on the phone and trying to schedule a Zoom session? And in many ways, it's convenient in that once you do get them on the phone, you can just convert to Zoom immediately and there's no lag time or commuting necessary. But at the same time, with higher risk concerns, If you can't get them on the phone, then you're having to get a lot more creative. So, Dr. Aguzias, I think for NYU and a a lot of campuses that have a high percentage of, of international students, as well as international campuses, this sort of takes on a new meaning. What has been your experience around managing things? I know NYU has a campus in Dubai and Shanghai, I believe, and managing the counseling centers on those campuses as well as really serving the needs of international students. When this first happened for our international students in New York who were asked to go home, we really had to pay careful attention that they were able to get home. And if they were not because of travel restrictions or concerns about visas, we had to make sure that they had accommodations. And so there really needed to be a thoughtful exceptions process And when those students, it was decided that they would stay, we had to make sure that they could continue to be safe. 
So while the global sites, and we do have a tremendous global network, we are in 14 cities around the world, including New York. And so the global sites were closed and the campuses, the students who could leave were asked to leave. And if you didn't have anywhere to go, you were certainly not abandoned by the institution. You were provided with accommodations. Uh, but international students have significant concerns, even for the ones who are graduating. They use their time here to get a job and to, to use their last year of their visa to perhaps get sponsorship. And none of that could take place because there were no internships and there were no job opportunities. And so they were really looking at their concerns about their career prospects. For those who left, they were worried about when they would be able to return. For those who left and were going into what they thought was sort of an unhealthy or unsafe situation, again, they were able to petition to stay. It'll be interesting to see in the fall the percentage of returning students and whether this will impact the actual attendance, given what's going on around the globe, for sure. So last question, how is your staff doing? How are the counselors feeling? I think the counselors did tremendous work this semester. I think they knew that we were prioritizing their health and safety by how rapidly we move the service to remote so while we were concerned for the students, we really wanted to make clear right from the beginning that we were concerned for staff safety as well. Our university announced that it would teach students in this mixed mode way in the fall. And so there will be some online classes. There will be some classes that are both online and in person. And there will be some face-to-face -face classes when that can be done safely. And so for the staff, we're sort of waiting for university guidance on what that means in terms of the numbers of students. And now the charge for all counseling service directors, all health center directors, is really how do you bring staff back to campus in a safe way? We need them to feel secure in order for them to be able to do their best work with the students. And that means to the extent that we can, continuing to offer some services remotely, for those who have to be in person, offering them the right PPE in order to feel safe, managing whatever physical spaces we have so that we can ensure social distancing. It's a big job at a place like NYU with the numbers of students we have and just being in a city where we are space challenged. I don't envy my colleagues whose job it is uh, to ensure those aspects of our work. But as far as I'm concerned for, for the staff, I think they're doing okay. Again, they're, you know, dealing with their own personal issues as they are trying to do their best work for the students. If we do this well, they will feel cared for as much as they have been in the return process, while again, knowing that it is the ultimate goal for all of us to be able to return to work uh, each day. So I just have to say in close, Dr. Agusius, thank you to you. You are indeed among the healthcare heroes. I understand that you were reporting to the NYU Health Center all through March and April as New York was battling the worst of the pandemic. So, so thank you to you and thank you to your staff. Thank you, Marge. I appreciate that. And thanks for having me. Thanks for being with us. Take care. This has been the Quadcast production of the Mary Christie Foundation. For more information about our work, visit marychristiefoundation.org. And also, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, leave us a rating or review. It really helps us out. I'm your host, Marjorie Malpedi. Thanks for listening. <laughs>